morning, Cyrus Bible Church. So happy that you can be with us to worship this morning. Uh, a few announcements before we get started. Uh, if you're not aware, coming up we are going to, as a church, we're going to have an alignment series. And so we're all going to be studying uh, what it's like to become more like Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And so you'll find those books uh, out here in the Commons area at the Grow kiosk. Um, and so we've got a couple weeks, so make sure you, uh, if you're not a part of a group already, and you would like to be a part of a group, let them know and they can, they can help find you a group. Uh, or if you're part of a group and need a book, go ahead and grab a book and get prepared for that. We're excited about what God is going to do through that. Uh, in a few weeks, we got Second Saturday. Now, 2020, we had grand plans. I had this big vision for 2020. Um, my vision was a little impaired. Didn't know all that was going to take place. So we, I don't think we did a, a second Saturday all of 2020, but we're going to start back up 2021 uh, and just move forward in a, in a safe way. So uh, one of our goals for 2020 was to saturate USA, um, provided for us Jesus Films uh, in a track, and we've got some church information. So we're going to be bundling those up and putting those on doors, and I think we can do that fairly safely. Uh, so if you want to participate in that, uh, look forward to some up. Uh, coming information on how you can participate in Second Saturday, coming up on January the 9th. 
I uh, wanted to also thank everybody, uh, if, you're not, if you're not aware of how missions works at Cypress Bible Church, all of our missions giving is separate from our general budget. So I just want to uh, thank you for your faithful giving uh, in that. We've got a lot going on around the globe right now in, in terms of how our investment is uh, bearing fruit. And I wanted to share one real quick story with you from our partnership uh, with Afra for, for Christ. We started that in 2020. And again, we didn't have big plans, but I wanted to read this from Jeremy Sieberhagen. It says, 2020 has been a year of change for everyone. Uh, and for AFC, we have gone from church planning uh, to soup kitchens, providing food parcels, and empowering communities to develop. Uh, and so in 2020, they've planted 38 churches in South Africa, uh, facilitated 400 discipleship groups. They've also planted 39 churches outside in uh, heavily Muslim context areas. Uh, they've given out 100 food parcels and over 2,000 meals served through soup, soup kitchens. Uh, they've started 50 vegetable gardens, 40 mini bakeries, and 30 preschools to train and equip with resources. So 2020 has been amazing to see what God has done, and, and COVID has provided opportunities that we didn't even foresee would be there. Uh, in every one of these opportunities, they are very intentional about making sure the gospel is shared. And so they've seen many come to faith. And one of the encouragements for Jeremy has said that men have been responding in, in a real positive way because of these efforts. Um, in some of these contexts, reaching the men can be really difficult. And they've seen a, a, a huge response from men this, this year in 2020. So we are, we are just encouraged by all that God has done through missions. And again, thank you for your faithful giving in that area. So this morning, as we, as we reflect on 2020 and the challenges that we've all faced, um, we, we recognize that we come to the Lord, and he invites us even. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Second Corinthians ten three through six says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but divinely powerful, for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ." And we are ready to punish disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So as we, as we look at the battles that, that are before us, we don't, we don't battle on, on our own. Nothing can stand against the power of God. The Lord, the battle belongs to you. Let's stand together.
I trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. terrified me. It was, it was like, it was kind of a shock. So that's when the journey began. As time went on, I made a transition from a player to a coach. The Sundays are, are emotional, fun, they're pressure-packed. Players are different nowadays. I like them feisty, I like them testy. You have to have individual relationships with each and every player. I become a parent. One of the more difficult things is the time. You're either going 100 miles an hour, you're sleeping, there's nothing in between. There was something missing, um, but um, in, in my world, uh, there's never time to figure out what, what is, in fact, missing. I was losing an opportunity to be that dad. And that was difficult for me. The answers weren't there. They just were not there. A few years ago, I, with the help of a friend, uh, drove the stake home. We were out on the farm, my piece of property out there just kind of pulled over and happened to pull over on the bridge and had a conversation. He said, do you really honestly believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and your Savior? And it was, yeah. But then it was, do you really believe it? And I said, well, yeah. I said, what does that mean? 
And I paused and I, I couldn't answer that. And that's when we had the further discussion and that's where, um, uh, as I guess you would say, that's where I accepted the Lord in my heart for my lifetime on that bridge that day. It's not a, not a weird thing. It's not a born again thing. Not a, it's not a weird thing. It was a peaceful, really, really cool moment where I just felt I, I was no longer the, the dad anymore. I actually had become a son. And it makes things much easier from a day-to-day -day perspective. I could handle those responsibilities because I know that I have a father that's looking after me that uh, has got my best interest at heart. My name is Jeff Fisher, and I am second. He is our father, we are his children. In him we find our true identity. Let's sing this to him now. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell. Unexplainable
take a seat for just a moment. Good morning again. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. So have you ever had uh, an opportunity to reflect on your life um, and been asked the question, have you ever, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? Everybody loves that question, right? And as I reflect on it, uh, there are certainly a, a long list that I have of, of stupid things that I've done. But there's, there's one particular one that stands out, and if you ask my wife, she immediately says, oh, that one's the one. Um, and so I thought I would share that with you this morning. Uh, so I get pretty excited about food, uh, unlike most people. I really love food. Um, and so I go into a German restaurant, and I'm super excited because they have bratwurst. And I love bratwurst. Um, you take some spices and mystery meat and fat, and you shove it all into animal casings. Who could say no to that? Um, but in addition to that, the bratwurst is one thing, but then you... You put on all these, you know, sautéed onions and mushrooms and green peppers. And, and so I'm reading through this list, and I'm thinking, yes, that sounds, I want, I want all of that. And so as I'm looking at the menu, I see this. Oop. I see this right here, ons. And I'm thinking, yeah, give me, give me the ons. I want, I want all of that. It must, be a, it must be a German word, right? And so the waiter comes to me and he says, I want a bratwurst. And he's like, you want to add anything to that? I'm like, yeah, give me the ons. And he, and he kind of looked at me funny and my wife kind of looked at me even funnier. And they both started laughing. And I looked back down at the menu and it said this, add-ons. And for, for some reason, my mind, I guess I just got excited um, you know, dyslexia is for real people. 
Um, but I just saw the ons, and I got really excited. I'm thinking, that must be a word for adding all of these things. And so the, the waiter kind of chuckled, and I, I tried to excuse myself. Oh, I thought that was maybe a German word or something, uh, which made myself look even, even stupider. But, um, but the point is, is, is sometimes you, you look at things that are really familiar to us, and sometimes you can misinterpret even, even the simplest of things. And so we're going to take a look at something that is very similar to that today. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Uh, very familiar passage. Some of you might know this as the parable of the lost son. Uh, most commonly, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, another uh, title that's given in, in Scripture is the parable of the compassionate father. And so I think all of these are accurate descriptions of components of that parable. Uh, but sometimes we miss, I think, the, the larger meaning. Uh, when we see these titles in our Scripture, uh, a lot of times we think that they're equally as inspired. Uh, but in the original text, they, just, they weren't there. And so sometimes they're, they're very helpful in pointing us to a, a meaning of a passage, and sometimes uh, it can be like ons. They can kind of distract us from the, the meaning. And so I want to take a look at this passage this morning uh, to gain some context of what this passage really is about. Uh, he, Jesus, at the beginning of this, talks about lostness. In Luke 15, 1 through 2, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so in context, Jesus is speaking mainly to these religious leaders who were disgusted that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and, and sinners. And so Jesus goes on, and he tells them three parables, three stories, to help them better understand the situation. Uh, the first one, he, he tells them about lost sheep. One who goes astray. Would you not go out to find the one? Leave the 99 and, and go find that one. And the second is the, the lost coin and the joy that the woman has at finding this lost coin. And so and then we get to this third parable. And so the question I want us to ask this morning is what is lost in this parable? Because the whole parable, there's, there's a lot of different characters in this, in this parable, and we tend to only look at what we, what we would call the lost son. But I think there's more that is lost in this parable. Uh, so to start off, I just want to tell you this, this parable. So there was a, a father who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my inheritance. And so the father immediately divides up the inheritance and he gives them their, each their share. Uh, but several days later, the younger son gathers up all of his stuff and he goes off to a far land. And in this, in this land, he squanders his inheritance. He, he spends it all. Uh, and at the same time, a famine struck the land. And so he finds himself with nothing and in need. So he takes a job as a basically tending pigs. And so the younger son finds himself in this situation where he's even envious of the pigs. The pigs have food to eat and he doesn't. And he's jealous of even the pigs, but nobody would help him. So in that moment, the son says to himself, 
even my father's servants have food they eat and are full. So I'll go back to my father and I will tell him, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And so the, the son gets up, he comes to his senses, and he heads back to his father. And while he was still far off, the father comes and he greets him. And the son drops down to his knees and he says, Father, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy even to be your son. But the father didn't pay any attention to it. He calls to the servants and he says, Bring, a, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put sandals on his feet and put a ring on his finger. And take and kill the fatted calf for today we're going to celebrate my son who was lost is found. He was dead and he's now alive. And they, they throw this lavish celebration party for the younger son. But while this is going on, the, the older son hears that, that there's something going on and he calls to the servant. He said, what is going on? He's like, they're celebrating uh, your younger brother who has come back. And so he, would, he, would, he refused to celebrate. And so the father goes out to the older son. And he says, why won't you come in? He's like, father, I have been with you all this time and I've served you well. I've, I've labored in your fields and I've done all this. And you've not, even, you've not even killed a goat to celebrate with me and my friends. And he looks to the younger son. He says, son, all that I have has always been yours. But my younger son was lost and now he's found. He was dead and he's now alive. So this parable is, is probably one of the more widely told parables. Uh, very, very well known. Uh, but again, when we look at this parable, we have to ask ourselves that question again. What in this parable is lost? And I would argue with you that it's much more than the younger son. Because there's a reason that drives both of these sons to where they are at. The younger son thinks that there's something better out there. That, that he's going to go and find it. He's going to find a better life. He's going to find happiness, peace, and joy. He's going to find it in his own way. The older son thinks he's going to find it by serving well, by doing, by laboring, by slaving for his father. He's going to earn his father's love. And so I would say in both cases, what is what is lost is their identity. Neither son recognizes who they are in relationship to the father. And I think that drives a, a deeper meaning in, into this parable as we, as we look at it. What is the, the meaning in this context of lostness? So the parable of the lost identities. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, is sometimes when we interpret Scripture, uh, we have to be mindful and careful as to how we do it. Uh, because in context, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to Pharisees. So how would have the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, how would they have received and understood this? They would have understood it in, in, in the Old Covenant context. They didn't understand New Covenant yet. And so sometimes when we apply things... Uh, from our New Covenant perspective, particularly when it comes to salvation, uh, we can get ourselves into, into trouble. 
And in fact, this parable is used by, by many different peoples. Liberals, uh, scholars will use this to say we don't really need the atoning death of Jesus to be saved. All we have to do is come to the Father. And so they just eliminate Jesus altogether. Uh, other, other scholars and, and liberal uh, kind of a universalist would basically say, see, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is not really essential to salvation. You just need to come to the Father. And the Father really can be Right? Any religious leader, it could be Muhammad, it could be Buddha, it could be all you need to do is come to the Father and the Father will, will save you. He'll graciously receive you back. Um, but we know that there's much more to salvation than that from a new covenant perspective because we know that Jesus came, he died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and that's how we enter into a new relationship. So we have to understand when we, when we interpret this scripture, first for us, we, we look at the issue of sonship. So how, how do we become sons? Old Testament, right, Israel, God adopts into his family. He chooses them. He chooses Israel. And, and so they were, they were sons and daughters based on that covenant relationship that God had established with Israel. They didn't earn sonship. Right? They were adopted by God into his kingdom. And so they take on that identity as sons, and that's what we find in this context. But for us, how do we become sons? Well, very clearly says in John, but as many as receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, but of the will of, or the, will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one and only Lord and, our one and only Lord and Savior, we become sons and daughters. We receive God's grace freely, not by works, but by faith. And so when that happens, we immediately inherit a new identity. We become sons and daughters of the living God. And that, that's a powerful thing to understand. So when we read this parable, we first have to ask ourselves, how do we become sons and daughters? And we recognize that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens at that moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The Scripture says you become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And God indwells you with his spirit. And so as we look at this parable then, we have to ask ourselves the second question. If we've received the spirit of God, can a son lose his salvation? Can a son be lost and separated from God? In this parable, you would, you would say, well, maybe, maybe they can, if we interpret it, again, from a new covenant perspective. But again, that's not the context. The context is an Old Covenant perspective. So they, the salvation is different. Now, how, how were they saved in the Old Testament? Same way. They were saved by God's grace through faith. But they were putting their faith in that which God had revealed up to that point. They, they still didn't fully understand that Jesus was going to die on a cross, that he was going to be resurrected from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Uh, but they were looking for the coming of that Messiah who would fulfill those things and bring salvation to their people. So as they put their faith in what God had revealed, they were saved 
They were counted as righteous by their faith. But they were looking forward to what was coming, and we look back to what has already happened. And so we are saved by God's grace through faith, just like in the Old Testament, but it's already been accomplished. And when when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Spirit of God. And that's that's important for us to understand. Jesus makes this very clear over and over in the Gospel of John. He says, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. So he promises that that the Spirit is going to come and he's going to dwell in you forever. Now we see appearances of the the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament, uh, but he kind of comes and goes. He he never indwells permanently, those who believe. Uh, He kind of guides and leads, but in New Testament it says we will receive the Spirit. John 15, 26 through 27, it says, When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father... That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me before from the beginning. John 20, 22, it says, uh, And then he said to them, I said this to them, He breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. And this is where it gets tricky. Because again, there's, there's a differentiation, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Uh, Could Old Covenant Israel receive the indwelling of the Spirit? Yes, but it wasn't a permanent indwelling. And so there's a lot of, uh, again, uh, Pentecostal charismatics that would say, yes, see, they received the Spirit here again. uh, And then in Pentecost, they received a second baptism. Uh, But again, that's a a misunderstanding of how we interpret that Scripture. Uh, Because Jesus very clearly says in Acts, 1.8, 1.8, he says, when, this, when the power of the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the Spirit was a promise that was still to come. And so when we see this, this passage where Jesus says he breathed on them, they received the Spirit. Yes, they, they received the Spirit, but it wasn't a permanent indwelling of the Spirit. And the scriptures make this very clear in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says, In him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who gives as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So there's a, there's a transition, again, in Old Testament, old, old Covenant, New Covenant. New Covenant, when we receive the Spirit, we are indwelt and we are sealed. You can't lose your sonship. You can't lose your, your being a, a son or a daughter anymore. You have been adopted into the family of God. And so when people ask the question of, can you lose your salvation... Can, you'd, you'd have to ask, well, can you be unborn, right? Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you are born again. You are a new creature, a new creation, and you cannot lose your sonship, your daughtership. That, that is your inheritance. It is God's promise given to us. God's grace is sufficient. So how does that help us then as we, as we look at this passage? The the parable of the lost identity. 
So many people would, would interpret this scripture and they say, well, who are the characters then? Uh, some people would say the, the Father represents God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The older son would represent the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They had a relationship with the Father, but they misunderstood that relationship. They thought they had to earn it. They thought they had to work for it. Uh, the younger son would represent the, the Israelites that were born into Jewish families, but they, they were just going their own way, trying to find their own way. Uh, and potentially, there, there's a fourth character uh, in this parable that sometimes we also overlook is the servant. Uh, the servant we could, we could equate to Gentiles who are observers of God's grace through Israel, through the Jews, and they're amazed by it, right? Um, so that's, I think, how we would interpret that in, in context. But then how does that apply to us? Well, if we, if we understand, again, sonship, we, we understand that once we are sons and daughters, we are always sons and daughters. So in this, in this parable, we wouldn't, we wouldn't view the lost son who goes off and squanders his inheritance as somebody who uh, is, is lost. But for us, and I think many times in the church, we hear these testimonies over and over of, of our young people who have, have experiences with, with Jesus, where they, they come to a point where they realize that they're sinners in need of a Savior, and they, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But as they receive that in their, in their younger age, children and up through youth a lot of times, uh, we hear these stories of people who have gone away. I was recently talking to a pastor friend of mine um, who brought up his daughter, taught her everything he knew. He was a, he was a faithful father. And after her first freshman year, calls her father and says, Father, I don't believe what you believe anymore. So what are we, what are we to do with that? Are we to believe that, that somehow she lost her salvation? Um, I don't think so. I think at, at, at the point of salvation, there's only one thing Satan can do. He can, he can destroy your testimony. He can distract you and get you to, to go another path. But you don't lose your salvation, right? You don't lose your salvation. And so we're, we're praying with this family that this daughter would come back as the prodigal comes back to the father, realizing uh, the grace and mercy that has been given. And once given, cannot be lost. And I think uh, I've heard many testimonies even in our own congregation uh, of sons and daughters who have gone the prodigal way. They've chosen their own way. They've, cho- they've even made statements of, I don't, I don't know if I believe this anymore. They've been convinced by outside influences that maybe this isn't true. Uh, but we rest in the, the assurance of salvation that comes by God's grace. And we're praying that God would lead them back. And so the question comes is, as we receive this sonship, do we have a choice of what we do with our sonship? Absolutely. The, the father in this parable doesn't argue with the sons, son, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't do this, right? He immediately divides up the inheritance and he gives it to him. Is that a, is that a bad idea? It sounds like a really bad idea. But the same applies to us. Is it a really bad idea when we go our own way and we don't follow the plan, the design that God has for our lives. It's always a bad plan. It's always a bad idea. But all of us have gone that way 
even, even for, for short times. Uh, and for some of us, it's a little bit longer journey. I'm reminded of a, of a young man on a, on a mission trip that I was having a conversation with, and he was telling me his testimony about how he grew up in the church. Uh, and at one point, he's very confident he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I know that I ha- had my faith in Jesus Christ. But as he went into his college years, he began to, to party and have a good time and uh, even experiment with drugs. And he said to himself that I don't have a problem with drugs. I can control it. I can, I can master my drug use. And he got to a point where one day he's sitting in his apartment. He had no food And he looked at his money, and he had enough money to either go buy some food or go buy some drugs. And he chose to go buy some drugs. And he comes back to his apartment, and he's starving. He's famished. And he looks through the cupboards. There's nothing. He looks through the refrigerator. Nothing. It's barren. The only thing he could find in his kitchen was a bag of sugar. And so he takes a spoon and he proceeds to eat a bag of sugar. And at that moment, he he said to himself, I've got a problem. He had hit hit bottom, and he he recognized that he was no longer in control. And and that is the nature of sin. It it will control you. It will consume you if we allow it to. Uh, And none of us have the strength to master it in that way if we continue on in it. We have to repent of it and return back to the Father. And that's what, that's what this young man did. He returned. Uh, he was on a mission trip with me. He had recognized that, that he had gone the way of the prodigal. He was, he was lost for, for a time, but not lost in terms of salvation, lost in terms of his relationship with his Father. And so I think when we, when we look at this parable, that's the, the deeper meaning uh, of what I think he's trying to tell us. What is lost? We've got the lost sheep, Right? We got the lost coin, and then we got the lost identity. And both sons had not realized their, their full identity, their full potential in Jesus Christ. Their full potential in the Father, that they had a, a, a relationship that was one of grace, mercy, love. And the Father abundantly shows that to both sons. The older son didn't recognize that everything that the Father had was his. He could have celebrated He had access to everything that the father owned, right? The younger son thought there was something better out there and he went to find it, but couldn't. So he comes back and he recognizes that ultimately what he needs is that relationship with his father. And so I think that is is ultimately what God has called us to this morning is to remember, to recognize what is our identity in Christ Jesus. What is our identity? The Scripture says that, that, that the Father has abundantly lavished upon us His love. He, he so loved the world, right, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And He has given us the right to become sons and daughters. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become those new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 talks about this new creation that He has made all of us new. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. 
And it says in that passage, verse 20, it says he's made us ambassadors, representatives of God, and he's given each of us in that passage, 18, a ministry, 19, he's given us a message. How has he done this? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what God has done, and that's the identity he's given us. So we take on this, this identity of, as new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. But we recognize that he's also together made us a priesthood of believers. That we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people of God, but now we are a people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And that is, the, that is the good news of the gospel, that we have been saved by God's grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. This is God's free gift that he's lavished upon us. We receive it by faith, and once we've received it, we cannot lose it. We are born into the kingdom, but we can squander it. And the Apostle Paul speaks at length about this, and he tells us, don't use God's grace for worldly living. Don't do it. And he's warning us not to do it because we can do it. And obviously it was being done as we read through the, the epistles. We see the abuse of God's grace over and over again. And so as a church, can we abuse God's grace? Absolutely. Do we abuse God's grace? Absolutely. But when we come back and we recognize the relationship that God desires to have with us, not just now, but into eternity, when that becomes the most important thing, when we recognize who we are in Him, what He's accomplished through Jesus Christ, and the adoption that, that we've received as sons and daughters, we then can find the power to live a life that glorifies Him through the power of the Spirit who indwells. But every day, then, is an act of surrender. Every day is an act of surrender. God, I am not able to, but I trust that you will, through me, do that which you desire, that which you long for. And so that is, a, that is part of our, all of our journey as we look at this parable is to recognize our relationship with the Father, to recognize that we have the ability to go astray, we have the ability to not recognize the great gift that we have and the relationship that we have with the Father and try to earn his love like the religious leaders of, the, of that day were doing. But we don't have to. God's love is given freely. While we are yet sinners, Christ came into this world and he died for all of us. And he's offered his free gift of salvation, his free gift of his grace, simply by, by putting your faith and trust in him. That is, the, that is the good news of the gospel. And so this morning, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to pray for our congregation. Specifically, I want to pray for those of you who have prodigal sons and daughters who are out there and they've, they've lost their way. And so um, I, want to, I just want to say a quick prayer and I want to pray specifically for these sons and daughters and if you know of somebody specifically who has at some point uh, made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ but has lost their way, I want to pray 
for those prodigal sons and daughters this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come into your presence and we are in awe of your love, of your grace and mercy that has been lavished upon us. Lord, we thank you for our sonship, our daughtership, our, our new relationship that we have with you. But Lord, this morning we pray for those who, who have believed in you but have, have lost their way. They've chosen the way of the world, Lord, and, and they're tempted by, by so many temptations and they're deceived by the evil one. And uh, Lord, they, they have forgotten that you are a good, good father. They've forgotten of your love, your grace, your mercy, the testimony that you've given of us in your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we do pray for these prodigal sons and daughters. We pray that you would call them home. And that as they come, you would greet them, you would receive them, that you would clothe them with your robe, with sandals, with a ring, and that, that we would celebrate their return, Lord. So I pray that, that as we each pray for our, these prodigal sons and daughters within our congregation, that we would also celebrate the return of those who have gone astray. Call them back home, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord now.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to worship you this morning. We thank you that we are all sons and daughters. We pray that we would go in your power and your strength and declare the good news of the, of the gospel to all who are lost, Lord, and, and call back uh, all of our prodigals and sons and daughters, Lord, who have gone astray. Uh, glorify your name through us now, we pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now. Oh, right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right 